Welcome back. Today, I'm excited to bring you the conversation I had with Will Harris. Will is a fourth generation cattleman at White Oak Pastures. He tends to the same land his great grandfather settled in in the mid 1800s, and his family has been running and tending to this land ever since. After World War II, industrial farming took off in the United States and all over the world, where farmers would use pesticides and herbicides and steroids um, within their farming techniques. And in a lot of ways, it made things easier. It made the animals grow faster, grow bigger. Um, it was easier to feed them. And, but it also was not sustainable for the land or the animals. It made the animals weren't as healthy. The land wasn't as healthy, but it was easier to profit that way. But Will, in 1995, went against that, and he made the pivot to revert back to more sustainable farming techniques that his great-grandfather used. And in this conversation, we talked through that journey, um, the challenges of him making that pivot and making that bold decision. And since then, he has been recognized all over the world. Um, he, is in, he is incredible. I could talk to Will all day long. Um, he is down in Bluffton, Georgia. And like he says, he's not on here for people and for listeners to go to his website and buy from him. He just wants you to find someone you trust around where you live that is doing it the right way and raising their cattle the right way and, and uh, tending to their land the right way and support them. So support your local farmers. Will and his team down there, he runs it with his whole family, his daughters. Um, it's really incredible. And uh, I hope to go down there and visit Will one day. Another team that I love is Rebel Rabbit. Rebel Rabbit is a partner of mine, and they're on a mission to change the way we socialize and change the way we drink. And getting out of the holiday seasons, um, I know many of you probably had too many alcoholic drinks and um, too much sugar in those drinks. And Rebel Rabbit is on a mission to change that. They're on a mission to drink healthier. And they are infused with Delta 9 THC and and they are alcohol free. So if you're sitting back relaxing, eating a steak, it could be a great drink for you. It could be a great alcoholic alternative for you. If you're uh, kicking back watching the football games on the weekend or just relaxing after a hard day at work, Rebel Rabbit could be the perfect alternative for you. They are racking up the retailers all over the country. So you can go find the retailer closest to you. But if you also use promo code LIFE20, you'll get 20% off your order. They'll uh, ship directly to you. They have um, incredible customer service. They have a couple different flavors, a couple different levels of THC, uh, but it's a great alternative to alcohol. It's much healthier for you. You won't get a hangover. You'll wake up fresh and be able to be productive in the days following. Another one of my, another one of my sponsors um, that I love, and it's because what they do in their communities is Spinks. A lot of us just know Spinks as the convenience store that we stop and get our gas in or get our car washed, get our snacks. But if you see Spinks, I guarantee you they're investing in the communities that they're in. They give back millions and millions and millions of dollars to incredible organizations like the March of Dimes. Um, so they really invest in the communities they're in. All I ask, if you see low... If you see your local Spinks convenience store, stop in and support them because I can guarantee you they are supporting the communities that they are in. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Will Harris. Mr. Will Harris joining me from Bluffton, 
Georgia. How you doing this morning? Doing good, Slam. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Yes, sir. Did you um, start your day with a big old cup of coffee? I did. I did. In fact, it was a little bit bigger than that one right there. <laughs> well, I am uh, very excited to have you on. I think, uh, like a lot of people, maybe I'm, I found, I'm, first listened to your first episode on Rogan. Um, I listened to, you know, got into what you were doing then. Um, me and my wife have really been trying to find cattle and meat that we could purchase um, where we felt it was being done the right way. And I feel like you are the catalyst for that and what you're doing at White Oak Pastures. Um, really curious to hear the story and also get into some things y'all are doing now and also some complications that y'all have seen come into the industry. Um, you are fourth generation and you are, aren't you on the same land your great grandfather settled in? It is. My great grandfather came to this farm in 1866 and farmed it, followed by his son, my grandfather, followed by his son, my father, followed by me, and uh, currently being farmed, uh, help, uh, I, I'm helping them, or they're helping me, I don't know, uh, two daughters and their spouses. Mm -hmm. And between them, they have uh, five children that are my grandchildren. That's one, two, three, four, fifth, fifth generation on the farm. There we go. What was, um, when your great-grandfather started the farm, what was it then? You know, most of what we know about that is anecdotal. There, there were no, there were no great records kept, but uh, it would have been a, a, a multi-species farm, and uh, and they, they were livestock producers primarily, and uh, they actually slaughtered animals on the farm in the late eighteen hundreds and brought the meat every day, six days a week, to Bluffton, the little town I'm sitting in now, two miles from where the farm was then. It, the farm still is it's expanded. Mm -hmm. And uh, and sold it, peddled it off a mule-driven uh, uh, wagon. And, uh, and that's the way they made their living. And they were successful for that time and place and expanded the farm. And uh, my dad changed it post World War Two. That's what um my next question was. What post World War Two? What kind of went on in the farming industry, and um, maybe even like new technologies or new like inventions? I guess you could say that came in to, I think, kind of harm the industry in the long term. But what were? How did that transition happen? Yeah. So post World War Two is when the the evolution of agriculture really accelerated. Uh, it it uh, became a commodity-driven uh, industry, uh, uh, very industrial. Uh, and, and my dad uh, was born in 1920. He was uh, 25 years old at the end of the World War II. He, his, he really uh, industrialized the farm. Well, his watch, it became a monocultural cattle um, farm, and uh, he was, and, and my dad was successful. He, he made money every year and expanded the farm, mm -hmm. and we, we certainly weren't rich people, but we had no debt, and we had, had some assets, and that's the way he ran the farm all his career, 
and I came. I was born in 1954. Uh, went to the University of Georgia in 1972. Graduated in 1976. And all I ever wanted to do is be an industrial cattleman, just like my dad. Mm-hmm. I, I, I loved it. And I did. I majored, uh, got a degree in animal science, came home and ran the farm very industrially uh, under my father's supervision at first and later on my own. <clears throat> and I ran it that way for 20 years. Very industrial. A lot of chemical fertilizers, a lot of pesticides, a lot of hormone implants, a lot of subtherapeutic antibiotics, a lot of ionosphores, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. A lot of technology. In the mid-90s, I was enjoying it less and less and uh, made the decision to to do something different without any real uh, vision of what something different looked like. So, I, But I started just doing things the way I wanted to, which was a lot different. And I made less money, but I enjoyed it a lot more. And... Uh, uh, the timing was just so, so lucky, Sam. Uh, it, uh, it, <clears throat> if I'd done that today, it wouldn't have worked. If I'd done it 10 years earlier, it wouldn't have worked. But I hit the sweet spot when grass-fed beef was first becoming kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I actually sold Whole Foods markets and Publix the first pound of American grass-fed beef that they wow. Marketed as American grass would be purely lucky. I did not see that coming, and 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 to be honest, <clears throat> we weren't doing very well. You know, the farm had gone from no debt, making money every year, to uh, to, to not being profitable. And, what were some uh, of those we, early changes you made? Mostly giving up stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I gave up the drugs and the animals. I gave up chemical fertilizer. I gave up pesticides. Uh, I gave up confinement, feeding. Uh, mostly it was uh, it was more what I gave up initially than what I started doing differently. Mm-hmm. And I liked it a lot better. I could see uh, I could see the potential for improvement for the animals and the land, but I, I just couldn't make much money doing it. And uh, uh, but as I said, the market shifted to my to, to my favor, and it's shifted back the other way since. So it's, <laughs> it's not all sweetness and light. But you know, it it, uh, it gave us a breath of fresh air when I desperately needed a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Did you make those changes because you 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 mentioned you weren't enjoying it as much? Was it because? You, you didn't feel the animals were living the way they should live. You know, you wanted a more humane way of doing it. Like, what triggered that for you to make that change? You know, I think animal welfare was the, kind of the canary in the coal mine for me, but it was followed very quickly by the environmental side of it. You know, I, I, I simply <clears throat> fairly suddenly realized that what I had always thought was good animal welfare was not good animal welfare. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that raising cattle in a monoculture, as long as I kept them well-fed, well-watered, within a comfortable temperature range, and free from predation, that was good on oil. And I thought that was good as it good as it needed to be. But it wasn't. You know, the animals in that uh, confinement feedlot scenario uh, – 
didn't have the opportunity to express instinctive behavior. And that's that's just not a good deal. That's what prison's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then very quickly, when I started changing my program on animal welfare, I realized that, that you know we're we're treating the land as badly as we are the animal. Mm-hmm. So again, chemical fertilizers, pesticides, dot dot dot. So I started changing that, and in both both cases. Land and the animals. The the change was financially painful. It, it uh, you know, we were doing what we were doing because it generated a profit from my operation, and, and and it consistently generated a profit. So when I quit, when I quit doing that, I had to be creative about finding ways to to monetize what I was doing and make money with it. With um. What were some of those in, like early identifiers of the challenges that would be in place when you did give up a lot of that stuff? Like, why did that slow down your production? Why does that, you know, make it more difficult to raise it away? Well, all, all of those things that I was doing, the, 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 the sides, you know, yeah. <laughs> pesticide, insecticide, herbicide, nematicide, side means kill. All of those things that I was doing were uh, were done to generate a profit. Ultimately, it was a it was a production method that was focused on killing stuff, mm-hmm. and 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 I was really good at it. I mean, my dad had been really good at it, and I'd gone to college to study it and come home and really focused on it. It was. You know, I didn't know who won the Super Bowl, but I knew what sides to use to kill what I wanted to kill, and and I used them. And I I literally spent my days looking for something to kill. You know, I would go to the pasture every morning and look for a plant or insect or uh, bug or worm or mold or mildew or, or what something that was uh, damaging my cattle or my grass mm-hmm. and I and I knew what to, to go to the store and buy to spray on it to kill it. And and what I did not realize until later was that that whole system is just so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all focused on ending a, the life of a species when things should be based on Keeping the cycles going, keeping keeping things alive. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every there, there's a system out there. It's a cycle, and all of these creatures have a role in that cycle. Mm-hmm. And when we uh, view it in the in the linear manner of just production of one species, in my case, cattle. We lose we lose that view, so we start uh, uh, the, 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 we gravitate towards killing anything out there that's not doing what we want it to do. And that's not the way it works. You know, there are cycles of nature, and they're important. Yeah. And when the cycles of nature are operating optimally, it spins off an abundance, and that abundance is the wealth. You know the you know all that. Coal and oil and natural gas on the ground mm-hmm. that we're living on now is the abundance of the prehistoric era of the dinosaur. Yeah. 
And, you know, we have, uh, in, since World War II, probably before that, we really accelerated it since World War II, have ceased to focus on creating that abundance in that way. When, um, I guess the term, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for most people that could understand it, they say your farm is now a regenerative farm. That is how you raise your cattle, you know, everything on your farm in that way. How do you describe that to people? Yeah, that's hard. So, I mean, that's a great word, but it's today's word. You know, it's, I've, I've been doing this for 25 years, and every time we come up with a word that describes what we're doing, <laughs> the big multinational food companies, uh, pesticide companies, technology companies take it away from us. And they're, they're about 30 seconds away from taking regenerative. They, you know, they took organic. They took natural. They took uh, <laughs> grass-fed. They took all of these terms that we come up with. Are so We think are so clever and, and marketable. Just get taken from us. So, you know, <clears throat> we can call it, uh, we can call it whatever you want to call it, uh, but what we do is focus on the cycles of nature, the carbon cycle, the the water cycle, the mineral cycle, the uh, microbial cycle, the, the grazing cycle. There's just infinite number of cycles going on out here in my pastures right now, 24-7, 52 weeks a year. And what we're about is finding ways to optimize, to help nature optimize those cycles and to harvest the abundance that's produced by that and processing it and marketing it. Mm -hmm. And that, and the, and it's, you know, the difficulty came from uh, figuring out the cycles of nature is not rocket science. I mean, I think that most any thinking adult, if they spent time in nature, would see that pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Learning how to use it to produce raw material of food is also not rocket science. Get, making it, processing it to the point that it can be marketable and then marketing it, that's, that's real hard. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's quite difficult. With, um, when you talk about your cattle, or the species y'all have on the farm. Like, talk me through what they do on a daily basis, how they move around the pastures, how they graze, and where they, you know, I think they move to pasture to kind of pasture, or how do y'all set that up for them to be able to live in that humane way? That's a good question. And then we'll talk about the home farm here. There's some other things like some solar grazing, grazing under solar projects that we do that's, that's very different. Okay. But... And we can talk about that if you want to, but the, the home farm here is about 3,200 acres. It's divided up into about 150 permanent paddocks. And we will talk about the cattle first, because that's the, 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 the uh, well, probably because I like cattle more than I like anything else. So <laughs> that's, that's, my, you know, that's my default position, but... Uh, with the cattle are divided up into basically three herds. This changes a little bit, but basically three herds, a summer calving herd, a winter calving herd, and a finishing herd. And we move the animals from paddock to paddock every single day. 
Uh, the, the the herds the herds are kept on three herds on the hundred and fifty something paddocks. So we got about fifty paddocks each, and we move them every day during the growing season. And we're blessed here in rural uh, in, in very southern Georgia because the growing season for us is basically ten months a year. We we have very long good weather, <laughs> good well hot but good wet but good. <laughs> but it's it's just it's great for what I do. And, and let's say this, what I do here is not going to work in Nevada or Maine or Arizona. Every ecosystem uh, has strengths and weaknesses, pluses and minuses, and mm-hmm. you got to make your operation fit your ecosystem. And in ecosystems, you don't have to go that far. I mean, they change quickly. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, we move the cattle uh, every day. It's uh it's a lot of fun. Uh, there, there's not it's not a cattle drive. They're it's like Pavlov's dog. They're conditioned to move every day. So you when you open the gates, you better get out of the way because they will run over you. <laughs> we uh, uh move them every day, uh, except during the not the dormant season when we feed hay, and uh, uh and it's just a, 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 a beautiful system. It's just incredible, and, and what it's done is. It has moved the organic matter in my soil from a half a percent to 5%. Wow. 0.5 to 5. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 5.0. 
cuts in. They, they, those that are uh, conditioned to prosper in that will breathe, get pregnant, give birth. Uh, those that don't do well need to be, they need to be culled from the herd. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we've had, we did, had to do a lot of that. You know, our, our herd, I had bought uh, animals that were, had been bred for many generations to do well eating corn out of trough in a feedlot. And that's a different kind of animal than one that can do well roaming and grazing. Mm-hmm. And it, it and I had to let the herd evolve. And that that that's financially painful too. Yeah. You know, you are, it's not uh, an easy transition, you know. I, I, I certainly don't want to trick anybody into believing it's an easy transition. It's a great transition. Mm-hmm. But it's the right transition. <laughs> it's the right transition. But it's not quick. It's not easy. It's expensive. Um, and you've got to figure out how to afford to do it. What um the meat that comes from your cattle, why is it or what is it, I guess why is it healthier or better for us to consume as humans? Now that's a great question. And I'm going to say that. I have found it's important to me to limit my commentary to the land, the animal, and the impact on the environment and the impact on the rural community. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I have opinions. I've studied, I've read a lot about it, and I've got opinions on health and nutrition and safety and all these things, but I'm not, and I'm, I'm not an expert in that. You know, and I, and I, if I'm challenged, I, I have to roll over, you know, in terms of the land, the animals, the rural economy, you know, I, you know, I, I, I get nose to nose. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I truly believe and, and, and culinary, you know, I don't, I don't like to have the culinary discussion. I, I, there are those that can do that so much better for me than I can do it for myself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I do believe that our meat is probably uh healthier and safer but i i don't that's not you know when, when i was first i never visited many websites when i had my first website built in the early 2000s you got a nice website now well thank you thank you i didn't i didn't do it thank you <laughs> I, I, I paid for it but my daughter and, and other, other experts uh did it but uh when i had the first one made uh you know, I was young and foolish, and I had them put everything I'd ever heard that was good about grass-fed beef mm-hmm. in the website. And then I, I I got out a bit and heard people speak and realized how stupid a farmer sounds when we start talking about safety, food safety and <laughs> human health and all these other stuff. So I said, wait a minute. And I, I, I remember the day I told them, I said, I want you to go on that website and take out everything in there that's a, a claim or an attribute that's not about the land, the animals, the rural economy, those kind of things. That, that's, that's what we're good at. Yeah. Um, the impact industrial farming is having on the land and the animals. Um, talk to me about how y'all have, I think you've known it probably for a long time, but you've talked about some recent discoveries about 
um, some of the runoff from uh, pollution and chemicals and all the pesticides, all the sides, you say, you know, what is that impact having on the land and, you know, right in line with the impact it's having on animals of other species? I think it's terrible. And I think about it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the number of species that have been driven into extinction by the use of pesticides and monocultural food production and all these other things that we do is just a, 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 an immense number of species. And, you know, there, some of them are not, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what the right word would be, but not uh, uh, the species. It's, it's not like, you know, chimpanzees or dogs, but it's those those creatures had a role in this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. There was something that they did. And when we drive them into extinction, whatever they did is going to have to either go undone or morph or something. So I, I, I really agonize when I hear of species of plants or animals or my, microbes that are becoming extinct because of something we've done through technology, the, the abuse, overuse of technology. Um, there was another part of that question. Jeff. Yeah. Why, why do you think it's allowed? You know, what is, what is allowing these industries to continue to use it? And then like the long-term effects is having on the land. Well, I think it's allowed because there's so incredibly much money involved that uh, you know that's that's the way business is done mm-hmm. in this time. You know, and I've been you know uh, you know I think I think a lot about uh, tobacco in the '60s. You know, to the tobacco companies used to sponsor virtually every little sitcom that came on the TV. And smoking was uh, considered to cool. be yeah. it is cool, the rite of passage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people still smoke. I'm not being critical of that. I'm, I'm talking about how the the, the messaging. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about here. And you know, the Marlboro. I was I was raised watching the Marlboro Man, thinking, "Wow, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's good stuff there." <clears throat> and uh, ultimately, and it took a long time. It took some brave people to call out big tobacco on the way they were messaging and, and the way that the claims they were making and all these things. And ultimately, the, the, the changes were made. You know, in turn, the, the regulatory changes were, were made. So I don't think that's going to happen today. You know, I think that uh, our political system is so driven by money, mm-hmm. big money, big companies, that when uh, the... Uh, downsides of the way we farm are lifted up, I think it can be squashed. Yeah. There's just too much money involved. And I think that this is not going to happen. I don't think I don't think that uh there'll be any change in the way we produce food in this country brought to bear if it's dependent upon the government or land grant universities or the Cooperative Extension Service, or anybody else. I think that if we do, we, uh, we the people, that's that's a nice word, do something about it, it's going to be we the people. It's going to be because consumers Mm -hmm. say, you know, I'm just not going to support that anymore. Yeah, definitely. 
And I think we're light years from that happening, sadly. I yeah. think that the messaging of these big companies, uh, these multinational food companies and pesticide companies is so good. Yeah, it's all about money. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier about the, the freight, you know, uh, organic, you know, uh, organic. I, I used to be certified organic here, I'm not anymore. But today you can grow certified organic tomatoes that never touch the soil and never see sunlight. Dang. It's, it's cert, USDA certified organic. Now, you know, it took some, it took a lot of money to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who spent it. How does that work? Yeah, that work? yeah. I don't I don't yeah, I don't know who did it and how they got it done. I'm sorry they did it, but I got a lot of respect for what they can get done. Mm-hmm. Engineered Sleep makes the best mattresses out there. Sleep is the number one thing you can focus on right now to better your performance on a daily basis, and you might as well be sleeping on an Engineered Sleep mattress. Like I said, their products are the best, and their customer service is second to none. Their website is engineeredsleep.com. If you use promo code LIVE15, you'll get 15% off your order. So if you or someone you know is looking for a new mattress, reach out to the team at Engineered Sleep, and they'll hook you up. Again, their website is engineeredsleep.com. Use promo code LIVE15 to get 15% off your order. What were some of the things you've noticed? I think it was in uh, river runoff pollution or testing y'all have done in and around your farms in um, you know, southern Georgia. Yeah, there's a pretty good video of that on our website, I think. Uh, it's a place where two uh, watersheds come together. On my farm, well, mm-hmm. one of the watersheds comes off my farm primarily, and the other watershed comes off a neighboring farm. And it's uh, I see this several times a year, and then we videoed it one time, and it, it kind of went viral. Is that right? Viral? So you say that? You got it right. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, a lot of people looked at it. That's what. I, uh, <laughs> so. Uh, but it's where the water coming off our farm. I think the watershed off our farm is a lot bigger than the other watershed. Mm-hmm. But the where the water comes together in that video, it looks like it's a lot more water coming off the smaller watershed. And that's because the earth was half percent organic matter. So it didn't absorb it. It just washed off. Mm-hmm. There's water coming off ours too. because a big hard rain. And, and some of the water ran off, but much more of it soaked into the ground. And the water that did run off looked like tea. You know, it was, uh, uh, you know, the, the tannins from the plant roots discolored it, but you could still see light through it. Mm-hmm. The water coming off the uh, degraded watershed you know, looked like uh I don't know, strawberry syrup or something. I mean, it was, very, you know, it was, it was muddy water. Yeah. Very, very muddy water. With uh, what do you think that's doing to the cattle or like your land from the runoff from those pesticides, even, you know, miles away? Oh, yeah. They're, they're, I, that's a good question. I get it a lot. You know, uh, they they tell me that you can find uh, herbicides in the polar ice caps Dang. where there's never been any pesticides used. 
you know, it's it's ubiquitous. You know, when it, when it, we put it out there and the quantities that we put it out there in, it's everywhere. And you know, I'm I hate that. There's nothing I can do about it. I, I'm also a very strong property rights person, and you know, I respect the right of my neighbors to farm their land like they want to. Mm-hmm. It's theirs, and they're, you know, some of them smarter than me, more educated than me, and they made a different decision than me, and they get to do that. And that's what worries me, and and I do very little to prevent it because there's nothing I can do to prevent it. Mm-hmm. If it can make it to the polar ice caps, it can make it to white oak pasture. <laughs> with, uh, with your cattle and um I guess all the species you have on the farm, but I guess more specifically cattle. It used to be more corn, corn and soy fed. What kind of difference does it make to do grass fed and grass finished? <clears throat> well, it's certainly a number of things. Good, good question. Uh, first of all, the animals gain weight much more slowly. It takes me two years to grow a, from birth to, to grow a calf that weighs 1,100 pounds, 1,200 pounds. In the industrial model, in under two, in a, feeding corn and soy, in under two years, you can have them at 1,300, 1,400 pounds. Dang. So they, they, you know, they're, they're unnaturally obese creatures that would never occur in nature, but you sell by the pound. If you can make more pounds quicker, you can make more money if it's if it's at the same price. Yeah. Uh, from a health perspective, uh, the Wikipedia would tell you that the uh, life expectancy of a cow is twenty four years, and and I don't let my cows just live out there till they die, but if they did, I expect they'd be they'd be twenty four years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the. I don't know what the life expectancy of a feedlot animal would be, but it would be way short of 24 years. I mean, like if an it, obese it, human or something. Yeah, if those animals were, I, I, you know, I, I've never done it, but, I, but I'd kind of like to, I'd kind of like to, to see it done. I'd, I'd like to know the results. I don't know if I want to see it done. But if those animals were left in that feedlot environment where they were gaining three or four or five pounds a day, which they, they can do. And they just, you know, the, on the day they were supposed to be slaughtered, they didn't slaughter. They just left them in there and kept feeding them. I just wonder how long they last. <laughs> they'd be less than two. I don't believe they'd ever see four. Yeah. What's the um, normal time for an industrial farm to um, slaughter a cattle? And then how, what's the average time for you guys? Uh, I would say there's, there's a lot of a lot of uh, things that can vary the answer to that question, but I would say that uh, a uh, uh, in a feedlot environment, optimum feedlot environment, something like 17, 18 months of age would be when an industrial animal would slaughter. We we think we're very very lucky if we can do it at twenty four months, maybe thirty. Mm-hmm. With uh, what's the challenge too of having you know, 10 species on your farm doing it in a way of regenerative farming where they're all moving around? Well, it's, it's just really, 
to our advantage. That's why that's why I did it. You know, nature abhors a monoculture, and I had a monoculture of cattle, and then and I for, for a long time. You know, my dad from uh, I guess from uh, for fifty years from the end of World War Two to the mid nineties, fifty years it was a monoculture of only cattle, maybe a little more than that. <clears throat> but it worked out okay because. Uh, I grew a monoculture of grass for them. Tufton 85 Bermuda grass is nice. a hybrid Bermuda grass. It's just incredible. It's just an incredible assimilator of chemical fertilizer. You can just grow it so, 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 such great grass. But when other species would show up in there, I would spray them. That's, you know, it's that side thing, right? I'm looking for something to kill. I, I start to see weeds out there. Or the grasses, I'd go get a herbicide and spray it and keep my monoculture. You know, and I put a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, chemicals into the cattle. You know, hormone implants and such, and could you know, could just that's why and that's why I could make it grow them so fast. Yeah, but when I when I quit using when I when I went when I quit using herbicide, we just take that that route. I just told you how that works. When I quit using herbicide, uh, I started having a lot of stuff growing in my pasture that I didn't want. Cattle mm-hmm. preferred not to eat it. So that's when we brought in sheep and goats, and nice. they loved it. So, you know, it's uh, <clears throat> it's working with nature instead yeah. of against nature. It's imperfect. It's imperfect, uh, but it's... Uh, it's just so good for the the, the cycles of nature. Just yeah, keeping everything going. Proper. It's the real cycles of the environment and the land um, that had been around for thousands and thousands of years. With um, being made in America, raised, slaughtered, made in America, that seems to have some controversy around it. Um, where it's not all made in America, even though we're getting stamps that say made in America. Um, at your farm, do you put made in America on your products? And um, does it bother you much when you see things that you know weren't made in America say they were made in America? We, we, do, we do say it's made in America, in Georgia, actually. But uh, uh, what you've t- t- you touched on here is, is what happened to the profitability in our business. Things were going well for us. And when I say us, I mean white pastures. I also mean there were other farms around the country, you know, going in our direction, developing in our direction. Yes, sir. And at that point, uh, for, for reasons that I could speculate, uh, they changed the definition of uh, product of the USA. And it, it, it became, uh, if, if value, instead of uh, animals being born, raised, and processed here, if they were, if they had value added in the USA, then it was a product of the USA. And I believe that was done very intentionally. I can't prove that, but I'm not, it just makes sense. It does make sense. But it, 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 uh, what that did was that opened the door for the importation of foreign grass fed beef to come in and be marketed as product of the USA legally. And 
<clears throat> that really uh, took the wind out of the sails of the grass-fed beef production effort in this country. We have been able to stay in business because we were pretty well established by 2005 or six when that rule change was done. I believe it was done in 2005, but it happened in 2006. We were we we had our legs under us and we were able to stay in business. We made less money, but it was okay. But I had friends and 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 just people I thought a lot of that uh, it has not gone well for them. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's I think it's uh, an abuse of power. Yeah. Rebel Rabbit is on a mission to provide a healthier and smarter way to socialize and drink. They're alcohol free. Cannabis-infused seltzers are perfect for anybody just trying to kick back and relax after a hard day at work or on the golf course with your friends or hanging out at a party and you want to wake up and feel better the next day. Their seltzers are perfect for you. They are a great alternative to alcohol as well. Their website is drinkrebelrabbit.com. Use promo code LIFE20. You'll get 20% off your order. That link is in the show notes but join the mission and start drinking and socializing smarter with Rebel Rabbit Seltzers. With um, with the label Zero Waste, can you give me an example of how that works on the farm? I, I can give you an example of how it works here. Yes, sir. Uh, and and, and there is there's no label Zero Waste. There's mm-hmm. just a claim, and we, we claim it. And, uh, and we claim it because, uh, well, no, a number of things, but the biggest one is, uh, we slaughter our animals here on the farm. I've got a USDA-inspected red meat slaughter plant and a USDA-inspected poultry slaughter plant side by side. And uh, five days a week, we operate on five days a week except for holidays, we'll generate about nine tons of what USDA calls packing plant waste. That would be feathers, guts, gut fill, mm-hmm. feet, you know, just, just whatever, the bones that aren't marketable for soup, whatever, whatever's just, they're not fit for human consumption. Yep. And uh, we uh, compost that nine tons of, of material a day. And uh, got a, we got about a 30-something acre field that we dedicate to, uh, to that. Uh, and we, uh, we turn, turn, turn it every day we mix so uh, composting is a nitrogenous material and a carbon material put together to chemically and uh, biologically transform and uh, we take uh, our packing plant waste guts and whatnot nine tons a day and the carbon that we bring in which would be uh, tree Chip, chip trees that uh, peanut shells or whatever people give us, mm-hmm. we mix it. They maintain the temperature at a certain level, stir it, and then we let it sit for a year. <clears throat> we let it sit for a year because I'm told that if it's if the compost sits a year, it moves from being more uh, bacterial to more uh, fungal, and mm-hmm. it's better. And then we spread that on our farm, and it's. I tell you, it's like magic. It is some, <laughs> it's some good stuff. I bet. Just, it makes the grass just grow. Yeah, it's like a, 
I mean, do you call it fertilizer? Like, what do you call it when you put it on there? We call it compost. Compost. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. My mom, my wife, uh, my mom, my wife has compost in our freezer. <laughs> 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 with uh, with what you produce at the farm, um, do you have a favorite cut of beef or your go to, um, you know, meal from the cattle and and what you raise? You know, I like it all. I mean, I, I got to say, I like beef more. I like pork or lamb or chicken because I was raised primarily on beef, but I, I love it all. Just depends on how you fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there are cuts that you grill, there are cuts that you braise, there are cuts that you grind and, and it's, it's all good. And I, and you know, one of the problems I think is the, we don't eat nose to tail in this country. And I think we ought to, yeah. you know, I, I, I very seldom, eat steak and we, we we i have a restaurant that we cook three meals a day seven days a week and it's our all our products and when i go there i sell them all steak it's not it's not the steak's not good it's just i mean it's great but everybody wants steak and i'm mm-hmm. just as happy with something else so i'll let them have it <laughs> with uh i do uh what are what are the 10 species or what are the species you do have on the farm we have uh, cows, hogs, sheep, goats, rabbits, and five poultry species. And we're actually taking a, a closer look at our poultry. That's not a, I'm not sure what we're going to do with that long term. Mm-hmm. I'm doing some uh, uh, renovation in my poultry processing plant. And we're kind of hiatus on poultry other than my laying chickens. I still got them. But I just got, we got, we got to figure that out. Yeah. What's uh with your chickens and so you let them just like graze or roam like a pasture or field? They uh we uh, yes, but we do feed them. We feed them a non-GMO feed, but they are loose in the pasture. Uh, they used to be uh, completely loose in the pasture. I mean, they I, I used to say they could walk to Atlanta if they wanted to. <laughs> Uh, and, and and it was not a problem as far as them getting away because they're gonna stay pretty close to that food and water. Mm-hmm. And we moved it, we moved it every day so it was on fresh ground every week or whatever it needed to be moved. We had a, a, a horrible incident with uh, bald eagles. Mm. Uh, they just inundated us, and uh, we had to change that up a little bit. And I had guardian dogs. That did uh, Great Pyrenees and Akbosh and other breeds that did a great job protecting my chickens from nighttime predation. Yeah. But uh, in the daytime, they'd go to the woods. They were nocturnal, too. They'd go to the woods and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So the eagles, which operate in the daytime, would just converge. And uh, we we had to uh, put a wire around the outside of the perimeter where we had the chickens or sheep or, or uh, ducks or whatever, not to keep the chickens in, but keep the dogs in so yeah. they'd stay there and protect them. Gotcha. Yeah, we've had uh, had some good friends. They lost almost all their animals to some wild dogs recently. Yeah. Yeah, well, those, I tell you what, they, they need to get them some Pyrenees or Akbosh, Akayushi. So they, they, the wild dogs won't be a problem. All right. Um, talk to me about your team. I know uh, you got your three daughters helping you. Like, what type of team does it take to 
to uh, do what y'all do there at White Oak Pastures. Yeah, that's been very interesting. So we, uh, it's two two dollars by the way, two dollars and two in laws. But uh, right. I have three dollars, but two uh, work here. So, uh, you know, when I when I farmed industrially up in the mid nineties, I'd have three or four employees, full time employees, and that was all I had. And I was the only decision maker on the farm, and it was fine. It was absolutely fine. And we started moving changing things, adding things. And today we've got 170-something employees. And for a long time, I was still the only decision maker here, or maybe one of them. And that just, boy, I, I, that, that, that was not working. Mm -hmm. So we decided to put some structure into it. And today we've got uh, uh, seven directors. I'm one of them. Uh, my two daughters, my two uh, uh, in-laws, and two non-family members. And we supervise about 25 managers. We supervise about 150-something other employees. And everybody's got uh, businesses that they're in charge of, and they run them pretty autonomously. We only got one operating statement, the one bottom line, and you know, and it's it's okay if if my business loses a little money to help your business make more money. That's okay, but it's uh, it's 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 really it's really a lot of fun, and I think it's really uh, has a lot of permanence. I think it'll I think it'll last. Yeah, what um, <clears throat> it could be personal and professional too. Like, what brings you the most joy doing what you do? Oh, uh, seeing it all work. You know, seeing the uh, <clears throat> the cycles of nature get better and better, and yield an abundance mm -hmm. that we can you know, provide to people that want it, it's fun. Yeah, you um, you know, I know there's other farms out there that you know they're looking to do what you do, or um, maybe you're in the same, you know, I don't want to say same class, but I feel like what you're doing is unique and special, and I just wish it was done more. Um, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, I love it. And, uh, I know it's been your family's work for 150, almost close to 150 years. And, uh, I'm excited for people to learn more about it. I hope, like you said, like we, the people got to make the choice eventually, um, to push for more farming and more raising and more environmental concerns, um, so our farms, our animals, our environment will live and last longer. Um, but I've really enjoyed having you on. Um, I know it's a lot, hopefully very educational for people, um, but hopefully people get a lot out of it and now it can change their perspective or just wake them up a little bit more um, to kind of what's going on and maybe push them in a direction to, I think, live healthier, <laughs> but also create our environment and our animals live healthier. Well, I really appreciate being on. And I want to say that I, I don't want to give people the impression that I think that White Oak Pastures is the only farm in the country that's doing it right. Mm -hmm. We are not. There are a number of good farms. They're not enough. Yeah. There are a number of good farms all over the country. And while I appreciate all the business consumers give us, this is not my cry to 
do business with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's my plea to do business with somebody. Let's do it right. Yeah, and you said it right. Like it's it's just not enough, but there's plenty of yeah. good farms. There's, I urge you to find somebody that you who's talking an amount that you like as near to your home as you can and support. Well, Mr. Will Harris, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you and the family have a wonderful Christmas. It's just a few days away. Um, but thank you for joining me. Thank you, Sam. Today, uh, today is my uh, what, 69th birthday. It is? It is. Look it at is. that. It's the How 22nd of December? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for having me on your show today. It's been very special. Yes, sir. Thank you and happy birthday. Thank you. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. Give our partners some love by visiting their links in the show notes. Spinks Convenience Stores, you can find the location nearest you. Rebel Rabbit Seltzers, they're on a mission to socialize healthier and smarter, so join the mission. And Engineered Sleep, making the best mattresses in the game. You might as well be sleeping on an Engineered Sleep mattress. For me, if you could give our show a five-star rating on your listening platform, that'd be greatly appreciated. And thank you so much for listening.